Let's bow again. Father, again, we are so thankful for the privilege you've given us to worship you together and to exalt your name and praise you. And Father, I pray that we would continue to do so as we look into your word. Lord, uh, help me to share exactly what you desire, what you intended, and may we all respond as you uh, desire so that you would be greatly greatly magnified and you would be pleased, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have been alive for very long, you have probably come into a circumstance or situation that was impossible, where you had uh, no way out. Uh, You weren't sure what to do. Um, The reality is we are created beings, and uh, we are limited, and we live in a fallen world with uh, fallen people, with sinners and wicked people, and uh, we have Satan and his cohorts uh, as our enemies. And we come into situations in opposition where things might appear to be at times impossible. Well, what are we to do when we get in those situations where we just don't know what to do? Uh, we, we may know biblically what we should do, but we don't know how the Lord is going to deliver us, how we're going to get out of the situation. What are we to do? Well, today we're going to see how to deal with impossible situations. And we're going to learn from Nehemiah's awesome example of prayer. Tremendous prayer. Now, I gave the context for the book of Nehemiah last week. I'm going to abbreviate that a little bit this week. Um, We're going to start here at the uh, end of the conquest of Canaan. After the Jews had come into the land, they were in the land for 490 years. And after Solomon died, the kingdom was divided, the northern kingdom being Israel, southern kingdom being Judah, divided because of Solomon's sin. And during the time leading up to the exile, the prophets continued to warn Israel and then Judah of their sin, that they would repent. And yet Israel, the northern kingdom, didn't repent, and they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and soon after Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Now there were three deportations by the Babylonians, and at the end there was the siege and the destruction in that third deportation, that third siege, there was the destruction of Jerusalem, its walls, and its temple, with the final exile into captivity. Now during the captivity, the 70-year captivity, the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and that was in 539 um, B.C. And at this point, the Persian emperor, King Cyrus, uh, being led by the Lord, uh, changed his foreign policy concerning captive peoples, and he decreed in 538 that the Jews could return to their homestead and rebuild the temple. We see that in Ezra chapter 1, uh, verses, uh, in chapters 1 through 3. We also see that this was the first of three returns of the exiles to the land revealed in scripture. And indeed, about 50,000 devout exiled Jews chose to leave Babylon, where they had become very prosperous, to return to Jerusalem, where they could worship the Lord and rebuild the temple. And we see that they ended up completing that temple, foundations being laid after much opposition and difficulty and apathy and misplaced priorities. We see that in Haggai. Eventually, they did uh, finish the temple, and uh, it was built. Yet within that, uh, we see that uh, there was difficulty, there was opposition. Now, the first portion of Ezra chronicles this first return, 
The second portion of Ezra chronicles the second portion, the second return. Indeed, 58 years uh, later, in 458 B.C., Ezra, the scribe, would bring 2,000 men and their families to Jerusalem. This is the second return, along with the treasures for the temple. And King Artaxerxes gave him permission to institute biblical law, in a sense, in Judah. Now, this was 13 years prior to Nehemiah's uh, coming to Jerusalem in 444 B.C., and that is what our book is centered around. You might remember I shared that the beginning of Ezra uh, is the first return. Then we have the time period of Esther. And then after that, we have the second portion of Ezra, which is the second return. And then we have Nehemiah, which is the third return in which our book is centered. Now today, we're going to see how we can deal with situations that are beyond our abilities, beyond us, that put us in a position of absolute uh, 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 difficulty and need. How can we deal and how do we deal with those no water, with those impossible situations? Well, we're going to learn again from Nehemiah's awesome example of prayer. And this is an awesome prayer. And we're going to see that he's a godly man who prays in a godly way that we can learn from so that we can be like him and thus glorify the Lord also. Let's go back and read from the beginning. We'll look at verses 1 through 4, which we looked at last week, and then I'm going to read into the prayer, which we briefly touched on last week, which we will look at this week. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some of men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then we have our passage. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant of loving kindness, covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive to thine and thine eyes open to hear, open to hear. Excuse me. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem from thy, with, by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, May thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant 
and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So we have a uh, long prayer. It's our passage. And if you were with us last week, we saw the occasion for the prayer, the reason why he's praying. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, uh, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year when I came to Susa the capital that Hanani one, of, Hanani, one of my brothers and some of Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived captivity and about Jerusalem. So you'll remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's in an extremely important position. Uh, king Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, he was the number one man in the world, the world, uh, the top ruler. He was the leader of the, of the world at that time. And Nehemiah was his cupbearer, and that was an extremely high rank. He was one who was trusted to bring his uh, food and his drink specifically to test it, to make sure there was no poison in it, whatever it might be. He was a trusted servant. And obviously, Nehemiah needed to be very diligent, faithful. And we're going to see that Nehemiah was placed in a position for such a time as this. And God places us where he wants us for those times when he will use us, if we are willing to focus on him and be faithful to him. So he's in the capital, and he hears uh, something happens. These brothers of his and some from Judah came, and he asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity. And about Jerusalem. It's apparent that Nehemiah was expecting probably maybe a good answer. Well, Ezra's making good progress. It's been so many years. They're doing well. Uh, uh, and Nehemiah's asking about them. He's concerned about them. The first uh, uh, return over 90 years earlier, Cyrus allowed them to leave, and 50,000 did, and they rebuilt the temple over time through the difficulties. And then we have Ezra, which was 13 years earlier, who began to to repair things, to institute God's law. And so uh, I think the implication is, hey, it's going to be a good answer. Hey, they're working hard. It's hard, but they're getting there. Things are getting done. Well, that's not the answer that Nehemiah heard. And you can tell by his response he was surprised at the answer. And so here they said to me, the remnant, verse 3, there in the province who, who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. We saw that they were in great distress, considerable adversity they were experiencing, and they were being reproached, they were being shamed. And he said, I am the wall of Jerusalem has broke is broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. That's a pretty serious thing. If you're a Jew, you, you desire God's glory. Jerusalem is identified with the king of kings and the Lord of lords who identifies with his city that he has caused his name to dwell. And the gates are burned down and the, the walls are down and the people are in distress. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it distresses you to hear about uh, the state of things that glorify God or cause shame to his name, cause his name to be reproached. And certainly that was happening as his name would be reproached, as we will see, but also as these Jews were in great distress and reproach. And so then Nehemiah responds. Now it came about when I heard these words, verse 4, I sat down and wept. This is something that brought him to to sit down and to weep. It said here, and mourned for days, for days. 
You see, Nehemiah was a servant of the Lord. He was concerned about the things of the Lord. If you are just concerned about the things of yourself, then these things will not bother you that much. But if you are concerned about the things of the Lord, as Nehemiah was, it broke his heart to hear about those Jews who were in great evil, great distress and reproach, and that the walls the, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the gates were burned with fire. This is the Lord's uh, city where he has chosen his name to dwell in shambles, in shambles. And so he was mourning for days. And it says, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah took it to the Lord in prayer, and that's what godly men and women do. They take it to the Lord in prayer. Uh, when their hearts are distressed, when they hear a report concerning God's people and God's name and reputation, it distresses them. And Nehemiah was distressed, and so he's fasting and praying. He's humbling himself before the Lord. He's praying, and so he's in great distress. And I believe if we heard the same type of thing, we'd be moved also if we were concerned about the Lord and his, and his name. If we we're concerned about the Lord's people. And so then, he weeps and mourns and he goes to the God of heaven and he's fasting and praying. And evidently, we're going to see this praying and fasting was for quite a long time. For quite a long time. And I believe we're going to see today that as this tears him up as a believer, that it shows us a great example of how we are to pray when things are impossible, let alone pray in general. We're going to have some wonderful things that can help us in this. So then we have Nehemiah's prayer, and he begins in verse 5, And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps commandments, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants. And we'll continue to look at it in a minute, but he is praying. And this is his prayer. Now we're going to see as it moves on that this prayer culminates in a request, which appears that this prayer is happening at the end of the period of time that he's been praying. And he is now bringing it to a conclusion. He's been praying, 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 praying for months, as we're going to see. And he's right at the point where God has led him to a specific request. And Nehemiah has realized during this time of prayer that he is the one God is going to use to take care of the thing he is broken over. And isn't that what happens to us? God works in our hearts. We're concerned about a situation. Then we start to realize maybe he wants us to step in and serve him and help those him in those areas. And he has realized that because in verse 11, he'll say, O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today. This is the specifics. And grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah is actually in an impossible situation. He feels led by the Lord that he is the one to go and help out. But guess what? He is in an extremely important position. He's in an important position that people probably would not want to let you go. Probably not want to let you go. When you have people that are trustworthy, that you trust in day and night, especially non-believers, trust them. They don't let go of those people very easily, by the way, to go do their things. And so Nehemiah is in an impossible situation. And uh, you understand that, being the cupbearer, seemingly impossible. 
And so this prayer has moved him over the months to, uh, to, to realize that the Lord is calling him to go do this. Now, before we get to this prayer in detail, we need to remember what Paul tells the Romans in Romans 15. Let's turn to Romans 15 because it's so important that we see this. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. He's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. That through the perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, written word, we might have hope. We need to look back and realize that God gives us examples of godly men and women who trusted the Lord that we would have examples that we would be able to persevere as the word works in us and within that persevere and have encouragement that we would have hope. We get in those hopeless situations. We need to get into the word of God and remember what God has said and let his instruction change us change us. And so we need to listen very carefully to this example because it is so important. There are only a few prayers like this in scripture that are so instructive for us. Uh, we see it with Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, I think it is. You see it here uh, with Nehemiah. These are prayers that are very instructive for us. And we also see it in the Psalms with David. So then what was written in earlier times, that's in Nehemiah. That's what we're looking at today. So it's very applicable that we would persevere, that we would be encouraged, that we would have hope. Now, I venture to say that there are some among us, some listening or who will listen to this message, that are not persevering, that are not encouraged, that are not hopeful. You're in an impossible situation. You are hopeless, drained, disappointed, maybe disillusioned. Maybe you've become desperate, so desperate that you have chosen to follow your own desires and your ways rather than what God says. But we need to go God's way and we need to listen up. We need to confess our sin and respond rightly so that we might have, through the scriptures, encouragement, also perseverance and hope and hope. And so listen up. If you're in a difficult situation, listen up. So then we come to Nehemiah's prayer where I believe we're going to see some some specific aspects, six of them uh, to be specific, that should help us in our prayer life. Notice, first of all, as you beseech the Lord, begin with praise for his greatness. Notice Nehemiah begins his petition praising God for his awesome greatness and character, revealing he believes the Lord is far above the situation. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. Verse 5, and I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah's got a pretty big deal on his heart. He's about to go before the number one man in the world. You think you have difficulties. You think you have serious situations. Well, this is pretty serious. And Nehemiah begins this prayer, which he's been praying for, for months, by the way. So we're going to see. And he begins it with exalting the Lord God, with exalting the Lord God. He says, I beseech, that speaks of asking someone urgently, fervently for something, to implore or to entreat. Notice we have the same phrase at the end of his prayer. O Lord, I beseech thee, verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee. 
This is a prayer request. This prayer is centered around a request, an urgent appeal, as we're going to see. And yet, as we're going to see, it's much more than that. It is a request brought forth in a godly context by a godly man from which we can learn. From which we can learn. And on a side note, I just want to point out that this prayer that we're looking at appears to be the culmination of months of prayer. Yet I believe it's the same content. He says he's been praying for day and night, as we'll look at that in a minute. So then, and I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who, pers- who, uh, who preserves the covenant of, and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah begins, I beseech thee, O Lord. L-O-R-D, large caps, speaks of the great I am, the self-existent one. You are God. You are self-existent. You are who you are. Remember when Moses in Exodus 3 was speaking to the Lord, the burning bush, and he said, who am I going to tell the Israelites? What's your name? And the Lord said, I am who I am. Yahweh et Yahweh. I am who I am. He is the self-existent one. We pray to the God, the sovereign of the universe. We got to remember this. He is way above. He said earlier, he prays to the God of heaven. So he says, O Lord, O Lord, God of heaven, you are supreme over heaven, let alone earth, right? You are the God of the heavens. You're far above it. We need to remember that. You see, it helps us refocus in impossible situations from our perspective in light of the reality of who we are praying to. The Lord God of heaven. You are praying to the Lord God of heaven. And he recognizes that. And notice what he says about him. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Isn't that great? I hope that makes your heart feel good when you hear that. It makes mine feel good. The great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. This is who we're praying to. The great and awesome God. You know, when we get into difficulties, we need to remember our situation is no problem for him. It's no problem at all. He is greater than our problems. Folks, he has never had a situation that was out of control. He is a great and awesome God. He is not wringing his hands wondering how he's going to deal with this thing down here on earth. He is a great and awesome God. We need to see that when we are in difficulty, when we are distressed. Now, so we're going to see later on, often our difficulty is because of our own desires not working out or our own sin and our consequences. That's another issue. But when you are following the Lord, and that's the example here, and you enter into difficulty, this is how we should pray. When you are obeying the Lord and you enter into these difficulties, this is how we should pray, let alone when we're not obeying, we need to confess and then pray like this, as we will say. He is a great and awesome God. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's turn there. Verse 20. Moses declares this incredible truth. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. You shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things. Things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heavens. He's a great and awesome God, and He delivered them from their bondage. He's a great and awesome God who has delivered us from our sin. 
We have seen it. We have seen his great and awesome power in delivering wretched sinners from their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Psalm 99, I read this earlier, but I'm going to read it for you now. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above the peoples. Let them praise thy great and awesome name. Holy is he. We serve a great and awesome God. And so often our prayers are like prayers to a a wimpy nothing God in our minds, by the way. Our prayers are so lacking in faith or are so twisted in our faith or lack of faith. But we are praying to a great and awesome God. And Nehemiah is a good man and he knows it. We got to learn that. We got to learn that. I read this also in Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing. And I I venture to say we look at times and we think things are way too difficult. In our practical sense, we may believe it's not difficult, but in our practical sense, we don't believe it, by the way. But here, Jeremiah says, nothing's too difficult to thee. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, saying, Alas, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments. That sounds familiar. That's what Nehemiah is saying. Same thing. Same thing. Notice later on, Nehemiah doesn't just pray this as some rote prayer. He, he believes this. Look at Nehemiah farther on chapter 4, verse 14. Because this is when the people were being threatened. They being threatened. Their lives were on the line. And Nehemiah is going to encourage them. He's going to say something that is familiar to us. Nehemiah 4.14. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Nehemiah understood. He served a great and awesome God. Don't fear them. Remember the Lord is great and awesome. The Lord is great and awesome. So then we have a Lord who is great and awesome. We need to remember that. So Nehemiah begins this prayer. I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And notice he describes his character like Daniel did also. Who preserves, you could translate that keeps, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. He keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant promises. He's a faithful God. You're a faithful God. You are great and awesome, and you're faithful to your word. You keep your covenant, and you keep your loving kindness, your 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 your, your covenant love. You've loved us. It's not going to go away. You keep that covenant love. Tremendous reality, and it's for those who love him and keep his commandments. Think about that. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the fact that uh, all things work together for good to those who love him. Right? There is people. And because there is people, they have his word in their hearts, and they can keep the word. And so he's faithful to them. He's faithful. God is faithful. He keeps his word. He does what he says. He won't let go of his love of his children. Right? He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. We need to think this way in the midst of our difficulties. We think this way every day. Nehemiah did. He's a good example. So he's calling out to this incredible God of ours. And our prayers can become so insufficient at times and so shallow 
and may I say ineffective. Ineffective, and I'll explain that. Because we do not see God for who he really is in the moments of our difficulties. We don't. Now, Nehemiah did. And when we don't, that means we're not right with the Lord in that context. We need to confess that. We need to see it rightly. This is convicting you. Lord, I'm sorry, be forgiven, and then see him rightly, right? And rejoice in our great and awesome God. You see, when your God is small in your head, by the way, your problems are big. But when your God is big, as he is revealed in Scripture, a great and awesome God, then our problems are small in comparison. Nothing is impossible for God. So then, the Lord God of the heavens, great and awesome, who keeps his faithful word and his love towards us. Nehemiah is a godly man who has not lost sight of the Lord, who is his Lord. He has not lost sight, and it shows in his prayer, and it showed in his life later on. We need to be men and women who are servants of the Lord, as we will see. And by the way, we're going to see later on, he's praying in the context of serving the Lord. Often we're praying in the context of just our lives, which are on our own rather than serving the Lord and then the things that come along with that. So then we need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. There's nothing too difficult for him. And that's where we begin in our petition. By exalting our great God, recognizing his faithfulness and sovereignty, his loving kindness towards us. Praise God for his greatness, which reveals that we believe he is greater than our problem situation. That he is greater. You see, if you don't share anything about him in your heart, you don't think about those things, you really don't practically believe he's great in circumstances. The circumstance is way larger. But here, Nehemiah gives us a godly example. Now, what's the second thing that we see here? Notice, we should be persistent in prayer. We should be persistent and let the Lord work on us. Notice, Nehemiah persisted in prayer over four months, could be up to five months, which moved his heart to desire to do what God wanted him to do. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant of loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive to thy, and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants. Again, we see the heart of humility in uh, Nehemiah, his servant. He says, let thine ears be attentive and thy eyes be open to the prayer of thy servant. Listen, please, Lord God, pay attention. I'm beseeching you to hear my prayer, hear my prayer. Nehemiah, I mentioned this is a servant of the Lord, and he sees himself as serving the Lord. And on a side note, I mentioned it a little while ago, but maybe the Lord is not answering your prayers because your crisis is not because you're serving the Lord. Your crisis is because you're serving yourself. Get to a point where you confess your sin and start serving the Lord. And when you do have these crises, then we can align our hearts with the truth of God and the God of the truth and see him work in our lives mightily, our great and awesome God. But if you're not serving him, not walking with him, it doesn't apply yet. You need to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord. He's a servant. He's a godly man who serves the Lord. And he's praying on that basis. He's serving the Lord with the king. He's serving the Lord here, and he's going to serve the Lord in Jerusalem. He's going to serve the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, as I mentioned, some of you might need to confess and get back to serving the Lord and then get before the Lord in prayer, a great and mighty, awesome God. 
And notice Nehemiah, back to our passage, he is persistent, which I am praying before thee day and night. That implies he's praying a lot. He's praying day and night, day and night. And if we look closely at verse 11, it's apparent that he is about to go before the king. And in chapter 2, we see it's the 20th year of the king, month of Nisan. Let's take a look at that. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, may, may thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today, he's given us a day, and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that I was that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So then, here it is the 20th year of the king of uh, King Artaxerxes in the month of Nisan. And in chapter 1 of this, it was the month of Chislev in the 20th year. So basically, that's Chislev is November, December. Nisan is basically um, uh, March, April. So it's been four to five months. He didn't run out and just do it. He has been praying and God has been working on his heart. He was broken. He's been praying as a servant. He's been praying, praying, praying. He persisted in prayer. It wasn't a one and done. Oh, God hasn't done anything. It wasn't a prayer here, a prayer there, and that's it. Nehemiah was persistent in the things that are important. We need to remember this. Do you remember the parable that the Lord shared in Luke chapter 18? Turn to Luke chapter 18. We need to persist in prayer. We give up too easily. And we don't allow God then to work in us because that's what he's doing. He's working in us, preparing us during that time of prayer to be a part of the answer to that prayer, as we're going to see. Luke chapter 18, this verse 1. Now he, that's speaking of Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to, ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the point of the parable. That is the point. If you, don't get any, if you get anything else out of the parable, you miss the parable. It is that they should pray at all times and not lose heart. Okay. Now he gives the parable saying there was a certain, certain city, excuse me, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. That's not, that sounds like our judges these days. A lot of them, right? Um, and there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, now remember, he's not a godly man. This is a parable, right? It's a parable of the, from the lesser to the greater, as we will say. And he, he said, uh, um, he was unwilling, but after it he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now it's from the lesser to the greater. You've got an unrighteous judge who will do it. How much more a godly, loving, gracious God, right? He says here, And now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I read earlier Matthew chapter 7. I'll read it again. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives... And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. 
Or what man is there among you who has a son shall ask him for a loaf and he will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Um, if you are being evil, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? We give up too early. And a lot of times we give up because we are still self-focused, by the way. And that's part of the problem. When it's self-focused, self-pity, self-everything, we give up pretty quickly. But Nehemiah is not self-focused, and we can learn from this. Persistence in prayer is crucial for the believer. Nehemiah is a godly man, and we are being instructed from the Old Testament that we should be like Nehemiah and persist in prayer. We are so we lack persistence so often. Now, why is it God doesn't answer our prayers right away? Well, Scripture kind of reveals some principles. Uh, why wouldn't God answer Nehemiah's prayer? He's a godly man. Don't you think Nehemiah, prayer of a righteous man, accomplished month, God would intervene right away? Well, he didn't. He didn't intervene right away. It took four to five months. Because prayer is not primarily about getting an answer. It is about our relationship with the Lord. When we pray, we are communicating with the living God. And as we'll see in our message As we pray, we are humbling ourselves. We are showing reliance on him. We are learning to know him better. It is drawing us to focus on the Lord. It's very important. And in that prayer, over time, it's apparent that God uses that time to then reveal to us how he wants to use us in the midst of those situations and difficulties. God uses prayer to change us to prepare us for what he will do in his answer. He's preparing us to pray. That's why it takes time. He's doing good. He's not like an evil father. Well, he's, he's, oh, excuse me, he's much better than our unrighteous father who would not give his son a snake, right? He's even better than that, right? Of course he's going to respond in the right way at the right time. So God uses prayer to change us. So we need to persist in prayer and not lose heart god is using your time to draw you close to humble you to prepare you for his answer to move your heart to do what he wants you to do be persistent brothers and sisters there's another smaller principle here connected to this this prayer of nehemiah is really not about himself at all nehemiah didn't run into a situation that affected him it's all about him it is not about him it is about god's glory and god's people that he has broken up over he is one who is praying on behalf of others and God's glory. When we get to the point where we're walking with the Lord, we're trusting him and we're concerned about his people, then when those situations arise, it breaks us up and we go to God in prayer for his people and his glory. And Nehemiah is like that. Our lives are changed. It's different. It used to be about us, our friends and all our stuff, but now it's about him and his people. Notice what he says here. Let thine ears, verse 6, be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now, day and night, get this, on behalf of the sons of Israel thy servants. Nehemiah is interceding for them. We need to be interceding for our brothers and sisters when we see distress, when we see difficulty, 
when we see uh, opposition, we should be interceding for our brothers and sisters. Interceding. Pray unselfishly. Pray for others. We should consider others as more important than ourselves, right? You see, then we're exalting God's, then God's character is being exalted. So then, what do we see here? God is exalted, focusing on his greatness, petitioning him in persistent prayer, praying on behalf of others. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray for our needs. We're to pray about everything. We understand that. But this prayer is teaching us about a man who was centered around the Lord and his people and was concerned for them. And we need to learn from that. Now, notice next from his example, he humbly confessed sin. He humbly confessed sin. And specifically, it was sin relating to the very circumstance he was praying about. And this is really important, really important. Notice what he says here. Prayer on behalf of thy Israel, the middle of uh, verse or verse uh, uh, 6. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants. And then look at this part. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, and I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments and the statutes nor ordinances which thou dost command thy servant Moses. Nehemiah knows the truth of God, that in Deuteronomy 28-30, through 30, that if Israel did not obey, they would be cursed and they would be expelled. And Nehemiah is saying, hey, it's not the nation's fault. It's our fault we're in this. It's our fault. We sinned against thee, I and my father's house. He includes himself. We, are, we acted corruptly against thee. Verse 7, and have not kept the commandments and statutes and ordinances which thou dost command your servant, that servant Moses. We broke your covenant and we deserve what happened to us. You are just. You are just. And this is crucial in prayer, by the way, that we need to recognize that when we are in difficult circumstances, we are his people or whoever it might be, we need to look at our culpability in the midst of those things and confess that. We need to confess that. We didn't acknowledge our guilt. Now, not always is it, is it that way. Sometimes we're not guilty. Look at Job. Job had circumstances. He wasn't guilty. But sometimes we are. We didn't do the right thing. We were corrupted. We were focused on these things rather than you, Lord God. We were wrong. We were wrong. We were wrong. So Nehemiah is acknowledging, confessing the corporate sin of Israel, including himself and by the way if you got sin you know let's say you got some situation you know where you're praying for a financial situation well hopefully you're confessing your sin if you blew it financially you know you got to confess the parts that relate to what you're praying about right you know so many christians are praying for stuff and they're not seeing it fully where wow these actions got me to this point Lord, I'm sorry, and I pray you will deliver me from this. I don't deserve it, but yet your promises say if we do this and this, you'll do this, right? Because you're a gracious, forgiving God. Psalm 66, David writes, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. If you don't confess sin, if you got sin, God isn't listening. you got to deal with the sin. you got to deal with the sin. And what does God do when you do deal with the sin? Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper. Nehemiah is praying for success. He wouldn't prosper if he had sin, by the way. 
Uh, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. There you go. There you go. Be careful not to blame others. Nehemiah didn't blame the nations. He didn't say, he, he said, it's all our fault, Lord. We did it. And you were faithful to your word. You were just. You did what you said you would do. You did what you said you would do. We might be in situations where we're being spanked. And we know it. Lord God, you have done what you said you would do. You are disciplining me. And I acknowledge that. And I have sinned before you. And yet within this, I pray that you will change my heart and turn me this way, that I would be following you wholeheartedly. You know, we need to be acknowledging those things. Acknowledging those things. Been praying with no response. Pray humbly. Confess sin. Acknowledge any sin that might be related to your prayer. Confess any sin in your life. You see, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So then, number one, acknowledge God is far above in our circumstances. He's great and awesome. He's faithful to his word and keeps his loving kindness towards us. Two, persist in prayer. Pray on behalf of others. Three, and for God's glory. Four, confess sin. Confess sin. And then notice, Nehemiah now, five, he reminds God of the truth that applies to his circumstance. Look at this, verse, uh, verse, verse 8. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you have been scattered were, were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will... Uh, bring them uh, to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Nehemiah is repeating back the word of God to the God of the word. He's repeating God's word. Remember. Now, does God need to remember his word? Of course not. We're going to see it's very important to, re to repeat back to God the truth. And we're going to see why in a moment. It's very important. That applies to your circumstance. Rightly divided. Not some promise that is taken out of context but something that applies directly to your situation. He reiterates it, the, the word of God. He's quoting Leviticus 26 initially. Remember uh, in the word that is command thy servant Moses, if you're saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among peoples. Lord, you did what you said. This is why we're in this circumstance. And then he does, he talks from Deuteronomy 30. He paraphrases Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 4, basically, to apply it rightly to the circumstance. Turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be, when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord God has banished you. Oh, uh-oh. When it, all of a sudden it comes to mind when he's banished you that you disobeyed the word, right? Uh, which he says, I have set before you, um, God's banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul 
to, to all that I am commanding you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth from the, there, the Lord God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. And Nehemiah is paraphrasing this. Lord, you said this. Remember that you said this. Yes, you said that if we were disobedient, we would be scattered. But you also said if we obeyed you, you would gather us back, right? He's sharing the word of God that relates to his circumstance. He is rightly applying it to the circumstances. And then he reminds them of whose people they are. Quoting Deuteronomy 29, or 9.29, verse 10, And they are thy servants, the people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and strong hand. They're your servants. So the Nehemiah is reminding the Lord God of the truth of his word, which applies directly to this prayer and the circumstances. But why? Why remind God of the word? He knows his word. Why remind him? Folks, it's this simple. It pleases God when we reiterate his promises to him in context, because it shows we believe what he has said And remember, apart from faith, it is impossible to please him. When you repeat back his word, it shows you believe it. You believe it. You believe his promises, and that pleases him. That pleases him. But it not only pleases him, it builds us up. You see, the scriptures encourage us, and they help us persevere, and they give us hope. It works both ways. Look throughout the Psalms. David reiterates God's truth to him rightly in his context in the midst of many difficulties. David reiterates it. And let me give you a caveat. We are not to repeat back God's word wrongly and out of context. Never stand on a promise that does not truly apply to you. We need to be careful that we share only what applies directly to us and rightly and rightly. I'll give an example. Often you hear people praying for America based on the promises of God. If, uh, if my people will, will, will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive them their sin, and I will heal their land. And they say, if we humble ourselves as a nation America, God will heal this land. No, that's not what this is saying. God will forgive. Those are other passages that say he'll forgive you, humble yourself. But here, that was to the Jews. If you read right before, that was talking about shutting the reins and, and not giving them the, 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 the blessing of, of the produce of things. What about Matthew chapter 18? I often hear this promise in prayer. Lord, we are three, two or three gathered in your name. We know that you hear us. Wait a second. You can't say that. That's taken out of context. Matthew 18 specifically is in the context of church discipline. It says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. They are coming to do God's work in terms of church discipline. It is not that he is in our midst in a special way when we have a prayer meeting with two or three people. Don't claim promises that don't apply. Don't claim promises that don't apply. But we need to claim promises that do. Let me give you a little illustration. You have said, Lord, if we come before you humbly and make our requests known to you with thanksgiving, 
that you will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I am requesting that you help me in this area that I am concerned about. I am giving it over to you, and I trust you to guard my heart and mind. You can apply those things rightly. Lord, I know that you have said you will never leave me nor forsake me. I feel alone, but it is not true. I know this is what you have said. You can apply God's word rightly. You can apply it rightly in your prayers. So Nehemiah applies it very specifically to his circumstance. Like I shared earlier, you might apply his word. Hey, not hey, but Lord, I know you're disciplining me because you discipline your children, the ones you love. And I know that I'm not to faint or I'm not to, to, to treat it lightly. But Lord, help me now to, to let, your, let your discipline grow me so that I will have the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's how you pray his word. You remind him of his word. Apply it rightly. And so here, Nehemiah is reminding the Lord of the word of God that applies rightly to the circumstance. What a tremendous example. Nehemiah is a good guy. We need to be that way. We need to be that way. And then notice our last point here back in our passage. We need to make very specific requests of God. He wants us to make specific requests. Our requests are so vague at times. Our requests when we pray are so vague. They don't need to be that vague, by the way. We're going to see we should pray in accordance with God's will as revealed in the word of God. And there are specifics in there that we can bring forth. So notice, Nehemiah had been moved over much persistent prayer over time to make a specific request. A specific request. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man, that's the king. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And we see in chapter 2, he is prepared to go to ask the king to relieve him of his duties so that he may go to Israel, but have all the king's favor so he can be protected and have the lumber and all the things he needs. This is a big request. This is a big request. And so now he says, O Lord, I beseech thee. He is entreating him that he'd be attentive to the prayer of thy servant. And notice something interesting here that I didn't notice last week. And he says, of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name. I initially thought that was speaking of the Jews back in Jerusalem. It's not speaking of them because they had no idea of what was coming. They're not going to be praying for Nehemiah when he goes before the king. They didn't know about this. Look back at Nehemiah chapter 2. I'll share this for you. Nehemiah 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem. It was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I went with a few men with me, and I did not tell anybody. Now, it's not wrong holding back for things from people sometimes. It's wise, by the way. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind for Jerusalem. They didn't know yet. So evidently, he's got believers in Susa that delight to revere or fear the name of God, and they are praying too. And they are praying too. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. They delight to revere in thy name. They delight to fear his name. They delight to fear God. Do you delight to fear God? These guys did. Nehemiah did. So then it's come to the point where he's going to pray specifically for success and compassion before the king. And we can learn from his example here. There needs to be a point, as we will see, where we get specific, where the Lord has led us to share specific requests. Nehemiah prayed for four months. Uh, God put on his heart. We see that, what he was to do. 
and now he's asking him specifically to grant success and compassion before the king that he might be let go, set free to go help the Jews in Jerusalem to build the walls to help them. Nehemiah evidently understood that nothing's impossible with God. This is the head of the, the, the I would say not the head of the free world, it's the head of the, the Persian Empire, right? But Nehemiah, I believe, understood Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Nehemiah knew that he needed to go to God to have the king's heart changed. Have the king's heart changed. And his prayer was not vague. Vague prayers get vague answers, I believe. Specific prayers. We are to make our requests known to the Lord. He doesn't say just, you know. Now, yes, we have the Spirit of God who intercedes when we don't know what to pray at times, when we're really broken down. But by and large, when we're praying, we should have specific requests that we bring before the Lord. Make your request known to God. Make it known to God. If God could change the, the mind of the most powerful man in the world, he can change the heart of a hardened family member. He can move the heart of your boss, your spouse, whoever it might be, if it's in accordance with his will as you serve him, as you serve him. And that prayer may not be answered today or tomorrow. It may take months to answer, but God is faithful and he's going to work on you and he's going to put you in the place where he wants you to be so you'll be in the right place when he does answer. We need to pray specifically. So then, from Nehemiah's prayer, we have a great example. We need to acknowledge God's greatness. We need to persist in prayer. We need to not give up. Don't lose heart. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to intercede for his people on behalf of his glory. We need to confess sin, that's any sin, but also that which is related to the circumstance. We need to remind him of the promises that apply specifically. And then we need to make, as he has led our hearts, our requests specifically known to him. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, there's some of you out here who have a great uh, crisis you have great difficulty. You are in need of salvation. You are in need of salvation. And if you are willing to be specific before the Lord, to acknowledge your sin and go before and believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, call out to the Lord God, save me, Lord Jesus, from my sins. You believe in him, he will save you. He will save you. What about the rest of us today? What about the rest of us today? We need to take stock of where our prayers are at. First of all, are we serving the Lord? Is that the context in which we're praying? We're serving him. We're serving him in our marriage. We're serving him uh, in our families. We're serving him at work. We're serving him at church. It's all going to work together. It's not going to be little pieces here and there. It's going to be all of them. We're serving together. Some of you don't acknowledge his greatness, his sovereignty, his love. Confess that. Some of you are not persistent. Your prayer life is a little bit here, a little there. You forget. Confess that. Some of you don't pray for your brothers and sisters, your fellow servants, and for God's glory. Confess that. Some of you need to confess sin very clearly. 
Some of you need to acknowledge that your prayers have not been according to his word and his promises. And some of you need to be specific once you have truly been walking with him and praying diligently. We've seen an amazing prayer today. And if you leave here without it affecting you, that's to your shame. Remember what Jesus said concerning those who are truly his family. He answered and said, my, who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? My mother, brothers, sisters are those who fear the word of God, or excuse me, who hear the word of God and do it. They hear it and do it. You've heard it today. See, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth and thy great power and thy great outstretched arm. Nothing is impossible for thee. Let's pray. Lord God, how we have been so weak and feeble in our prayers and we have failed so often, Lord God. But I want to, and I pray your people too, want to learn from this, want to be instructed from the things that were written in the past that we might be those who persevere, that we might be those who are encouraged, that we might be those who have hope through the perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures. Lord God, help us to be those who pray like Nehemiah, but help us to be like him first, a man who trusted you and obeyed you and walked with you. Thank you for what we've seen. Help us to walk in a way that is glorifying to you as we pray and come before you humbly. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, John, if we could sing, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus.